Well, thank you for joining the Grim and Bloody podcast once again. Uh, happy to have you here. And uh, quick note, April 8th, we are having our first live screening on our YouTube channel. Um, we have a total of four films um, that are slated and ready to go. And each film is properly represented by their uh, uh, respective creators. And um, I understand that um, the first set, uh, we're actually going to have um, the producers and directors of the first two shorts along with one more. So um, the cast grows. We are excited. Uh, it's going to be fun. I, I cannot wait uh, for the April 8th uh, live screening live on our uh, Grim and Bloody Theater channel. Um, but for tonight, um, this is going to be the Event Horizon retrospective, the 1997 film done by Paul W.S. Anderson. And um, yeah, we're going to have fun with this one. It's uh, a cult favorite. It's a perfect blend of horror and sci-fi. And if you haven't watched it yet, go ahead and listen to our uh, show here. And uh, maybe it entices you to uh, give it a peek. So without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce Joe Flynn. Thank you for coming on, Joe. Uh, you're welcome. And Al Omega, host of Creature Features. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. All right. So, yes, tonight is Event Horizon. It's a movie that I watched a long time. I've seen it a couple of times, and every time I watch it, there's something new that I spotted that I uh, wasn't looking at earlier. Maybe I, I saw it, I just didn't, it didn't like register because I was so caught up in the story. Uh, but there's so many small details uh, from Event Horizon that um, are both good, and, and you watch it now and you say, oh, wow, they did that back then? Or they had that back then. Like, for example, um, while this, um, movie was uh based on in the year 2047 they're smoking in a spaceship right and nobody nobody does that anymore not even <laughs> you'll like finding anybody that's smoking in a movie um unless you're quentin tarantino and you just don't give a shit well that's the thing you know what do you you know in space say what besides other things you know yeah, you're hey, in space yeah. and you kind of need that air, right? Because there's only right. a finite amount, even with your scrubbers. But you know yeah, what? Just... Uh, here, I'm done with this one. You go ahead and finish it off. I love the, the shot of Lawrence Fishburne. He's not quite done with the cigarette, so he passes it to somebody else. I'm like, you know, hey, it is what it is. This was 1997 right. and uh, more people. Every, the focus was getting the teens off of the hard stuff. MTV's... Um, uh, war on drugs you know this is your brain this is your brain on drugs with the eggs frying in the, the pan that was the focus you know nobody was worrying about smoking back then um nowadays it's completely different but back then it was you know eh, it's part of it it was very much uh in in film as well as uh anyone who noticed uh they use compact discs in 2047 yeah, hey yes. look they got a dvd <laughs> I, I just saw that today i'm like Hey, pulled out a disc from that. I mean, 2047, I thought they would have had something a little bit more advanced. Uh, maybe, maybe a Blu-ray format, but no, it's, uh, DVDs were uh, all the thing uh, around that time. And uh, Blockbuster yeah, Video could be was better. tight. Um, in fact, rentals, they, you know, even though a movie may bomb theatrically, like Event Horizon did, um, it, it bombed yeah. horrible. You know, nobody liked it. Critics didn't like it and the fans didn't like it, um, but it, it, it gained a cult following in the rental scene. And a lot of movies uh, turned their fortunes around uh, when they went on video and people gave them a shot at their home and like, whoa, this is actually good. 
and word of mouth spread and um, they became so popular that um, the studio went back to uh, the director and said hey let's um, get together and uh, create a director's cut only you know the word back then was the, the footage was uh, not properly stored so they couldn't make one which is too bad you know I would definitely like to have seen the uh, the hell orgy uh, of all the other scenes but the uh, from beginning to end guys this was a film that it, it starts good and it ends better um, it, it pulls a lot from different sources um, they said Warhammer 40,000 was a heavy influence uh, I'm going to say because it was 97 and it was still pretty close to Alien and Aliens that um, the sphere of influence was still very strong um, you can run a few parallels between uh, James, James Cameron's sequel and uh, Horizon. Did you guys ever notice that when you're watching it, uh, thinking back then, like, oh yeah, I can see the parallels. Sam Neill is Sigourney Weaver, you know, the crew is the uh, Space Marines, we're visiting a planet where it's actually a ship, you know, so nowadays I think um, sci-fi, horror movies, they're going to be based on more contemporary films. Um, I can't think of any major ones, but uh, back then, um, aliens really. Which one? Lost in space. Lost in space. Yeah, there yeah. Lost in space film. was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. No, uh, here's how they kind of like went at this film. They basically kind of wanted to make it The Shining in space. Right. Yeah. So basically, it was more shining, and then of course, people kind of like said, Hey, yeah, this is way too much like Alien, you know, and we've seen this, you know. And again, I enjoyed the movie, you know, even though, as you said, it tanked badly in the box office, didn't mean the movie wasn't a good movie. It just people kind of like, Yeah, you know, as you're saying. But the cast to me was really good. You had, like, as you said, Lawrence Fishburne. You had Sam Neill. You know, uh, Kathleen Quinlan. Oscar uh, Isaac. Oscar Isaac, uh, who later went on to do that Harry Potter thing. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, uh, Jason, somebody who was like in. A oh, excuse me, Jason Isaacs. I said Oscar Isaacs. It's Jason yeah. Isaacs. Yeah, Jason. You know, Jason Oscar. It they're all almost similar mm-hmm. names. Yeah. Well, actually, they're, they're, they're both very intense actors. Yes, uh, they are. What it really needed was a, a you know a cool theme song. You know, they're going to go with the Shining reference. You know, they have REM come in and the shiny slashy people killing. That's them. right. So, actually, for me, watching this as a, a younger man back then. Holly Chant playing the uh, the deceased wife. Something about her reached out to me when we first saw her, and she drew me into the story. Oh, so that, yeah, that from the get go. They said this is not going to be your your run of the mill sci fi flick from the get go. He has this 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 vision, and um, yeah, at that point, um, it took a few watches to you know from beginning to end to see the connection. I'm like, whoa, from the very beginning. Paul W. Anderson just shows you, yeah, you're going to be dealing with something that is probably not going to be of this realm. No. 
and, and yeah, and I agree. It's like Sam Neill's wife's character, you know, it's just like, it hits because she's just like, oh, you know, because in the film, you know, which people start seeing hallucinating things and is it, you know, their past coming to haunt them or is it the ship itself that's supposedly evil causing them to do all these things and yeah you know it's a fascinating film and it it also brings up the fact that they're also trying to rush not rush it but they wanted to try to get this movie out before James Cameron's Titanic yeah I think a lot of people caught with that Oh, Titanic! This is going to be major, <laughs> right? And, uh, so they were they were rushing know, to get this film out. Um, Paramount, you know, for all their hits, they have just as many misses. Um, you know, uh, studio meddling is nothing new. Um, I would say that um, when you hear about the uh, production problems and the meddling that happened uh, with Event Horizon, it usually means that the end product is. Uh, inferior to what the direction uh, director, you know, uh, truly wanted. Um, he had less time to edit. Um, they already had a release date. Um, he was supposed to be editing. He was still shooting. Um, he came out saying there's certain parts of it that you know uh, weren't up to his you know his uh, his standards. Um, I on DVD, the DVD version. I'm not talking about the when they go back and redo it. Um, the DVD version is is still really good. Um, so, whatever they did to get it finished, it luckily the film um, came out great in my opinion. Um, despite you know the fact that it didn't do too well in theaters, um, I think you know this film hits its mark. Um, it it was solid from beginning to end. Uh, maybe some of the uh, if you're really paying attention, some of the audio with the dialogue you can tell it's. It has been fully reworked. Um, you know, sometimes when Lawrence Fishburne is talking, he sounds hollow versus when he's maybe closer to the mic. Those things would normally get fixed in post. They probably, you know, didn't have enough time to finish everything. Um, those are very minor. Uh, only if you're looking, trying to look between the scenes. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, th- this film works. The special effects, unfortunately, some of them, um, they don't hold up, but then again, um, the practical effects I thought were monstrous. Um, that's the um, I think what really stuck with audiences is the um, the amount of blood that's shed in this film, uh, the amount of violence. You know, in a in a short span, it's just from, from the beginning. You know, these guys start getting off, and um, I, I think that really it for me. It, it was it grabbed me and it didn't let go. I know that's cliche, but there's films that you sit down and then you're just hooked, right? You don't want to get up, even if you have to piss. You know, I'm just going to hold it to the end. Well, you know what, uh, what, what there was a preponderance of for me was sound. You know, we saw, we, my friend and I saw this and we said, Jesus, the loudest movie I've ever seen. They had the volume turned up so loud <laughs> in our theater for some reason. And so we really had to work hard to get past that. But I enjoyed the movie. Talking about the blood, I recall at the time reading an article about how uh, there, there's one point where somebody's been disemboweled and the bits are sitting out there jiggling and uh, they <laughs> yes. had to cast this out in super uh, soft silicone 
almost like jello because they really wanted the jiggly bits to sit there and jiggle. You know, they, they wanted that realism, <laughs> fresh guts and disemboweled someone. Well, the hell orgy, um, if you guys have, have read into it a little bit, um, they went all out and we barely, we saw, you know, glimpses at the most, but uh, it, they uh, hired, you know, professional pornographic actors. They brought in, which nowadays I feel is kind of a slap in the face, but they brought in actual amputees to, you know, uh, film parts of this, you know, they went all out, that's balls to the wall, literally. You know, it's, we want this to look as realistic as possible. Um, now I know the same thing, you know, um, Steven Spielberg did it with Saving Private Ryan. Um, in the, the beginning, he had actual amputees. So when, you know, parts start getting blow off, it looked real because a, a real prosthetic part probably was, you know, hanging or being blown off and that was their arm where it stopped or whatever, their leg. Um, yeah, I have mixed feelings about that part. It just shows you though the length to where they're creating this authenticity that even for you know cutscenes they were they were going above and beyond what you probably normally didn't have to do. Hey, be sure. grateful that uh, these these people are getting to work. You know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, movies like it's uh, good for them. It just feels wrong beast. to me. <laughs> That's the only decent effect they had was the the one with the amputee. So, you know, we have to love it. And, and, yeah, you know, and of course, talking about that whole cast, I wanted to uh, like mention Jack North Noteworthy. I was calling him Jack Norris, but it's Jack Northworthy. And of course, Sean Sean uh, Petrie, who of course is the son of uh, John Petrie, who is also Doctor Who. You know, he was best remember being in the movie Dog Soldiers. Yes, I was about to say that. Dog Soldiers. And so, you know, this cast was rounded out very well. Yes. And of course, you know, without spoiling the ending, you know, it just like, it leaves you on that cliffhanger, you know, in some ways. Because as they say, it's up to you if you decide if, you know, Hey, everything fine? Or are they just like trapped in their own private little hell? You know? Horror movies will get my attention and keep it when I can... I don't have to like directly relate to the characters. I'll never be an astronaut. So I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when I fired up my first spaceship and hit the ion drive, right? It'll never be That's that right. literal. Um but when I can at least um, understand and follow a character's beginning and ending, um, I will root for them to the end. And uh, I thought all the characters here were down to earth. Um, the film has very much that feel of going back to uh, aliens that we're in the future, but it doesn't look like the future, right? Things are rusted, things are grimy, you know, our it's not shiny this is not um 2001 a space odyssey you know this is um truckers in space as james cameron yeah. said um and I, I love that aesthetic I, I think it's perfect um and i think it helps make the characters more realistic so when they look real and they act real you begin to think well this could probably happen of course it's fantasy um but i can see the beginning you know these guys have a job to do um at first you don't know if they're military or they 
you know, the service, but they're, they're a rescue team. They're going far out than they usually would. So they're already distressed. Um, when they get on the ship, you know, something oh. catastrophic happens and now they're stuck on this and they don't, and immediately right there, boom, boom, boom. There's no, there's no space that's wasted here. Um, from the get go, the minute they get on that ship, um, even before you can say, you know, with, uh, um, uh, Weir's ex-wife showing up to, in the dream, you know, this ship has, uh, um, an agenda and it begins immediately and it doesn't stop till the very end. Well, they make a point of saying, gee, they're scanning the ship for life forms and they're finding them. Yeah. Right there. Exactly. They're everywhere. So it's like the ship is alive. So that, that sets you up for that right away. Yeah, the ship is not alone. And the part that I like as we're progressing in the film, when you see the drive that um, folds space and time, I thought that was one of the coolest looking engines ever. I haven't seen an engine that aggressive. Like who would make this with these giant spikes, right? It, it was like something out of Mad Max if he had created his own, you know, trans uh, warp uh, vehicle. Like right. it, the whole thing looks. You, you couldn't imagine something more scary or intimidating than that gravity drive, right? Uh, it's right. When they finally show it, it's like, whoa, what the hell is that, right? That doesn't look like it's something that normal people would make, right? This is something out of H.R. Uh, Geiger's, you know, nightmares. Um, so, and I thought the, the whole thing, you know, the whole ship and touch on the ship a little bit. This ship is ugly as hell. I'll just go and put it, it that is. way. This is one oh, ugly as hell is. ship, right? Um, it's overly long. Um, it looks like it has about two football fields between it. The front looks like it's a battering ram, and the back looks like a you know a disemboweled um, a Klingon bird of prey. <laughs> like, what is this thing? Uh, but it stands out. You remember it, right? And I think that's probably um, their intention is when you see, see the ship, you're going to recognize it. You're going to remember it. So for that one, they get kudos. Maybe they could have made something a little better. Who knows? But you know, it is what it is. Well, in doing a little research, uh, when they went for the look, they were trying to hit the, shall we say, the subconscious nodes involving religion. They started by uh, scanning uh, Notre Dame and other Gothic cathedrals for the overall look. Interesting. The shape of the ship is the interior of a church. It's a cross. I can see that, yeah. we We don't see it really from that angle much. A little ninety degrees off that that end, but it is it is in the shape of a cross, and a it lot is. of the architecture inside is gothic with the with the arches, and so forth. So yeah, they yes they did go whole hog on on buildings, and I, I think they took up oh gosh like nine sound stages because they yes. built this giant freaking ship, and they built some of the seat, the rooms upside down. So just like in 2001, you could have people walking upside down, yeah. but they wanted to do it in real in reality so that it looks like, yeah, you could get lost. You could be walking somewhere and not see anybody for a while and uh, to really make that work. So they they were going for all these sub, subliminal, subconscious, um, we, we might, you know, speak in hushed voices here, something important or, or bad is going to happen. Yeah, definitely. 
Oh yeah, and of course, it's uh, Michael Kamen. Uh, it was the man who was doing the musical score for this film. Uh, it was uh, picked by Paul S. W. Anderson, a fan of the hybrid genre music. They invited the electronic dance music duo Orbiter to collaborate with Carmen to provide that synthesizer sound for the film's unsettling atmosphere. So, a little trivia. Here's another bit with the music. At the end, you just watch this horrific sci-fi thriller, and then it comes out with, you might not expect an electronic song that on its own is amazing. It's done by Prodigy. Um, called funky shit, but it has it does not fit with the movie at all. <laughs> right. it, it's such a shock. It, this movie's finished. You're like, oh jeez, and then you have this kind of rave music, doo, 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 right? Like, what the hell is this? Now it's one of my favorite songs, but I didn't want to watch it in Event Horizon. <laughs> it, 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 well, it doesn't. You know. it, it, it was one of those weird, weird takes. Like, what were you guys thinking? I know. Prodigy was massive in the 90s. And this is another thing, though it with the cigarettes and the CDs, is that that electronic sound, um, Moby, Prodigy, right? That it was exploding. It was on MTV. And maybe they thought, hey, we need to get that crowd. Let's throw this in there because it's so cool. And looking at it now, it's like, no, (laughs) it didn't fit. It's a cool song, but it doesn't fit in the movie. Right, no, and it, that's the thing about movies. It's like, you know, don't get me wrong. If you watch a movie trailer, for example, and they put on some really cool tune, and then all of a sudden you go to the movie, and the song's nowhere to be found on that movie soundtrack. Oh, yeah, I, hate that. I hate that. I, You know, why did you do that? You know, but as you're saying, the song comes out of, like, left field yeah in outer space going like uh yeah huh? wouldn't you be playing something else <laughs> you know but hey let me uh, throw an example know. out that has a perfect mix that's done by an established group in for a film that you kind of just plucked off their album i would say seven you guys remember that one morgan oh, freeman yeah. brad pitt the yeah, beginning yeah. was done by uh, nine inch nails trent reznor um yeah. who, I think he's probably going to win the Oscar for Soul. Um, but that was one of his iconic songs in the beginning. It was perfect. At the end, it was an even better song. David Bowie, uh, Heart's Filthy Lesson. Yeah. They couldn't have found a better song to end a movie like that. Oh, yeah. When you just yeah. got finished watching the ending. Um, now, I don't want to spoil that one. But I'll say that if you've never seen Seven before, go watch it. The ending will shock the hell out of you. Because oh, you're thinking like true. I, I probably saw this coming the whole way and I didn't even know it, um, and then you're hit with David Bowie's "Heart Filthy Lesson" and it's perfect. Um, yes. So it could be done. Um, they yeah. just I thought it was a poor choice. Right, and, and, and again, and talk about Paul Anderson. There's the fun thing. It was sort of like he had just gotten done doing Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I think that might have had something to do with it big hit you know for him and the movie company Mm -hmm. and then he also got the chance to direct the x-men movie but he turned it down to do event horizon 
instead. So it kind of, you know, would have been interesting to see his take on the X-Men, but in some ways, hey, you know, you stick with what you want. And he wanted to make a movie that was like full gore and stuff like that and bloody. So yeah. that's why he chose uh, Event Horizon instead of the X-Men. That's funny so. that he doesn't get writing credit, even though he pretty much rewrote the entire script. I always find that interesting when the director goes, I don't like any of this. I'm going to write my own jargon. But he doesn't take the credit for it. So, Right. It's me. Uh, and, and of course, talk about this film. There's been talk that they're supposedly going to be maybe making this into a TV series. Oh, God. Yeah, we'll see about that. That was when a couple of years ago, yeah, uh, Amazon got involved and we haven't heard anything. Of course, the pandemic just pushed everything out. <laughs> so right. don't know. So, but I don't know yeah, if I want to see that. I think I got enough with this one. What do you think, guys? Do we right, need a TV you know, series based on this? I don't know how you could possibly do it. However, talking about the end music, you know, your your comment about the music, the music did not catch me at the end. It did, uh, I don't actually remember the song. Uh, however, I do remember the end of the movie, and it may explain the song. Because if you remember, uh, uh, our survivors are in, in stasis, and the rescue ship has come, and they're pulled out of stasis. I'm guessing that's when the music starts to play. And the camera pulls back and the bay doors close without anyone doing anything. And the suggestion is there that they didn't escape, that the ship, that part of the ship is still alive. And it's ready to have fun. It's got new people. Hence the funky shit. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And, and of course, that's why I would like saying how you know the directors and everyone said it's up to you to interpret if the survivors made it out and everything's fine or are they trapped in their own personal hell you well, know a sequel where yes the escape pod end of the ship infects the other ship or something like that um i i can see that but making it a series, that would be very yeah. hard. And I agree with you. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on Paul W.S. Anderson a little bit. It seems like with this director, his earlier work um, stands out more than his later stuff. Um, he got started on a, a little movie called Shopping, uh, the British action crime drama. Um, he exploded on the scene with Mortal Kombat. I love that movie. It was amazing. It was it was made at the perfect time, uh, right at the height of the the game, uh, which um, its reboot is actually coming out, and, and it yep. looks equally as good. Um, but Mortal Kombat it had a slap banging uh, soundtrack, so maybe it had it had some you know uh, some influence on this movie. Um, but her, after Event Horizon, he goes he does Resident Evil about five years later. And um, he starts taking on established properties, putting on his own spin on it. Um, I, I think the, the quality of the film just plummets after that. Um, he's been very busy, but uh, other than Pandorum and maybe Death Race, I couldn't think of a movie that said, dang, that was really good. And wow, it was done by Paula and every center. Yeah, after Event Horizon and Alien vs. Predator, maybe. Um, 
and things just go south with this guy. Um, he turned uh, Resident Evil, which was, in my opinion, one of PlayStation's um, highest rated, highest grossing series on on the console to a live action laughing stock. Um, it is just embarrassing, you know, <laughs> completely embarrassing. But his earlier stuff had an edge to it, an undeniable kind of eye um, to detail, especially in Event Horizon. Um, and I'm glad that um, Shout Factory uh, had recognized that this is, you know, one of the gems and worthy of uh, of going back and redoing it. Um, actually, just uh, this past week, um, they released their collector's edition, and um, I am eager to see what this movie looks like in 4K. Not so much. I don't know what they would do with the special effects. Some of them look a little cheesy now, uh, especially in the beginning with the, the floating objects right in the corridor. You can tell that they don't quite match, right? Or you know, the texture is off. Um, but uh, there's a whole slew of brand new interviews that they did with the cast and crew. And um, I, I'm excited to to see what Shout Factory does. Uh, I know we've been kind of uh, piggybacking on their releases. You know, they're picking high quality stuff. They're going in and, and oh, really yeah. putting forth the effort to um, not only, you know, bring the movie to its highest you know, peak uh, as far as visually and, and sonically, but they also give you the special features. So um, yeah, uh, Shout Factory. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to see um, this uh, this iteration of uh, a cult classic. And, and talk about Colin Anthony and Anderson here. He's got a movie that's now available to watch on demand and was out it was out in theaters in japan monster hunter monster hunter is now available uh which he wrote and so it's like all through the you know his later films is that he's been just as the screenwriter or writer of these films you know he may produce or you know direct occasionally it's just like hey i'm just the screenwriter on this so don't, you know, and some people have kind of said, hey, yo, your screenwriting may not be the best, but hey, I, you know, it's up to the individuals, you know, who see these films to say yes or no, you know, I'm not going to ever blast someone for, you know, unless it's really, really lazy writing. It's like, hi, I'm a back bad man and I'm coming to get you you know type scenario I wanted to stay on Event Horizon because uh, well one this is a retrospective on that film and it's a celebration of uh, the newest release Um, but to what you said earlier Al uh, about the the movie being like at max volume in the theaters it's funny that when I watched Resident Evil Final Chapter that was also written and directed by Paul W. Sanderson the theater had the volume on max as well. Mm. I couldn't hear a damn thing. Wow. And uh, I went out and complained at least three times to the uh, the, the theater people. And they're like, well, there's nothing we can do. We, we tried, we went in there, the volume, we don't control it. So I don't know, maybe he just says, you know what, you got to play this movie at max volume, guys. Let's do, just ratchet yes. it up, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> let's just rev up the music, the audio. We can do this. 
I want to hear those drums drumming. Well, you know, those creatures. About, you talk about how we, uh, I don't want to say, but a, a fall off on the uh, intensity level of his movies. You have to wonder about, the, you know, he's he's not a, a, an island. He, he works with other people. He has to interface with the studios. True. And it's very possible that they just said, you know, throttle it back. Because that's what the studio wants. They want, yeah, we want you to go out and make something really flashy and special. And then if it's popular enough, we'll put a collar on you and a short leash. And we'll let you keep doing things because people now kind of like you. And you'll get, they'll get used to what you do. Uh, and you'll do what we what we like. So, True. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's kind of a problem, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at his uh, his filmography, you can there's uh, a commonality between all the movies. It's basically TNT popcorn movies. Um, no real risks at all. Um, I think probably, geez, was it, Event Horizon was probably the last risk. Maybe Pandorum. Pandora was a gem. Yeah, uh, I, I know he was just a producer for that one. He didn't write or direct it. Uh, he was involved. Maybe, you know, I don't know too much about that one, but um, that was, if you haven't oh, seen that one with Dennis Quaid and Ben Foster, we have to do, fun. we have to do a retrospective on Pandora if you guys have seen that one, because that one was equally as good, I think, as Horizon, but in a completely different way. <laughs> well, he was married to Mila Jojovich, so, you know, he's got to pay the bills. Oh, <laughs> Very true. They need to stop yeah. doing movies. Y- y'all need to stop doing movies. They're, it ain't working. Together. It ain't working. <laughs> yeah, well, he probably doesn't want her making movies with anyone else because, you know, there might be other handsome leading men or producers running around there. <laughs> I have no comment. I'll stay away from the leading ladies and directors, okay? If I were in a movie with Mila Jojovich, I would be talking to her. I like her. No, she's a good actress. I I, I, I do like her as an actress, you know. But a friend so, of mine daughter complains that life is hard. And like, okay, Mila Jojovich came here from another country, taught herself English, uh, became, uh, you know, top five fashion model, and then became a, 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 a an actress making you know, millions. You know, you can go to school today. <laughs> She can do all that. You can go to school. Yeah. Okay, we'll stop ragging on you, Paul. I know that with the Front Horizon, um, it was Paramount that was editing the film because they they had this own weird kind of vision of how to send it out. You know, they wanted it out before Titanic. Um, it, it, it brings also a parallel to what Warner Brothers did, unfortunately, to the first Justice League and Zack Snyder. Uh, with that, you know, that arbitrary two-hour runtime, we wanted this tone. We wanted this. We, it, in my opinion, if you're going to uh, allow um, a director who could have chosen any film, right? Uh, he had a whole stack of movies. That you're like, which one do I do next? Right? He was in the right. driver's seat. So if you're going to pitch this movie to him, you're going to say, Paul, we want you to do this right you're reaching out to him there's something about his work that you enjoyed they say we want you to do this next movie why wouldn't you let him drive that too right then he just established himself as a successful director right all right he, he just made mortal Kombat. he could have chosen any other movie but he chose yours 
So why are you then going to go in, right, and change the whole thing? So. Well, we know. know that's what studios love to do. You know, they. It's. it's so I know. Common. I'm speaking they common sense. Parody on it on uh, Family Guy. Where uh, uh, is it? Family Guy. Yeah, I think it's Family Guy. Uh, um, Peter comes up with an idea for a book, and he's getting uh, Meg and his son there to help. And and Meg makes some very standard observation about what maybe the character should do, and they're like, "We don't need your help anymore." And then the, and then the uh, they go to the studio, and the studio says, Good "We point. love your idea, Good point. but we want to change a tiny, tiny thing with it." And he's like, "I'm out. I, I won't let you ruin my idea." <laughs> right, so, yeah. and, and and of course, yeah, the movie itself was originally going to run 130 minutes compared to the 90 minute or 90 so minute film that we got so you know as Anthony and Al was referring to they cut out and trimmed so much of this film that you know we may never ever get to see because the footage is misrepresented you know mishandled and not available to anybody you can almost you know, say it's a miracle that this film, despite the gross meddling that happened, turned out this good. Um, I'm thinking of Aliens, the theatrical release, as good as that was, and then it came out with the director's cut. I liked the director's cut less than the theatrical cut. So it is possible. Right. Let's say in an alternate world, they did have this footage you know, properly um, uh, saved, and we got to watch you know, Event Horizon and its full glory. Maybe we didn't like it. Maybe the pacing was so sluggish that um, it took away from, it, it took the bite away from the story. You know, um, it's no longer the ship that just, you know, just completely Could wipes out this, it, it becomes this, you know, this slow work and prog, you know, um, scenes that we didn't really need are in there now. So we never know, you know. Um, right. I know the blood, the, the hell orgy is something everyone's been clamoring for. Maybe we watch it and it's too much and it takes away from the story. We never know. That's true. And I agree with this because, you know, everyone has their different likes, you know, and like it, love it, you know. Hey, great. I'm one who will never judge anyone for liking or disliking a movie. You know, it's everyone's opinion. Everyone has one. You know. Yeah. And when I was talking about aliens, there's a, a small scene that came to mind that actually wanted me to talk about it was um, towards the very end when um, Michael Bean is injured. He's sitting in the um, the, the ships and Sigourney Weaver is about to go and, um, you know, take the elevator down and face the queen. Um, they have this awkward kind of introduction and it, it didn't fit at all. I'm sure because Fox said, oh my God, we gotta do a direction cut. We gotta put it out there. They put it in there and I'm like, what What the hell? <laughs> it, it, it completely ruined the momentum that was building up to that point where we thought we were leaving the planet. We're no longer leaving the planet. You know, we're flying in and we're going to stop and introduce ourselves, right? It's yeah, just that one example. New... It's just one one microcosm, but it's just well, that one thing of saying sometimes the, the director's cut may not be what you're expecting. We never know. Sure. 
uh, and here's my favorite line from Aliens. It was like me and my buddies were joking around and we're uh, like, yeah, let's nuke the uh, planet from orbit, okay? And you want to nuke the planet? Okay, let's go. <laughs> my favorite line is page one all the way up to, you know, last page. Page 97. <laughs> and... <laughs> Where Hex introduces himself as a event horizon. No. Fade to black, you know, beginning to fade yeah. to black. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. so this was Event Horizon. Um, it is available right now from Shock Factory. You can find it basically everywhere. Um, you can, it, I'm sure it's available for rent. Um, you can find it at Rasputin Music if, it, if there's Rasputin Music still around you. Um, it's yeah. a heavily accessible film. But uh, I recommend, I haven't even watched it yet, but I know uh, Shout Factory's quality. Look for the collector's edition. I know it's going to be a little bit pricier than your standard Blu-ray right now. It's $28. But um, if, if it's Shout Factory putting it together, you know it's going to be awesome. So um, if you want to see this movie, probably better than how it looked in theaters, um, yeah, definitely check out, check out the collector's edition. It's going to be worth the watch. Yes, I will. And again, uh, you know... If you have not seen Event Horizon, check it out. Yes. Definitely worth the while. Oh, so in closing, what are you guys working on uh, this week? What do you got going on now? Uh, well, uh, this week's show is going to be in the year 2889. 2089. Ooh, sounds fancy. You know, that's the thing about it. There's absolutely no advanced technology whatsoever in the whole darn thing. <laughs> That's and right. Since I was a kid, and it's like, oh wow, is there some weird stuff going on that I I did not see before? So something new there. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen the year twenty eighty nine, so that takes you back. Yeah. Uh, it's like what uh, that movie? You know, it's like, hey, why not? Let's just replay. Uh, Lost in space in 3D. Oh, never mind. <laughs> what do you got working on, Joe? Well, What's I am just uh, just relaxing. Uh, gonna be doing a show in, in like a week or two. Just uh, let people know, hey, this is coming up. As we alluded to, the Doc Snyder Justice League is now available yes, on watch HBO it. Max. Watch that. It's like four hours long. Hey, but enjoy. You it know, sort of feels like four hours. I, I sat through it. Actually, it took me three days. My mom just watched the whole thing in one sitting today. She was amazed. Yeah. yeah. Take if 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 it, four hours seems long to you, take breaks. Come back to it. You yeah. Know? One hour each. Don't, yeah. Don't don't try to you know. You're like oh yeah. I, you know, I watched it. Oh, sorry. I also fast forward some of it, but you know, I'm a couch potato. No, never mind you fools. But yeah, there's, you know, other horror news coming out and it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, here's a tidbit for everybody. Uh -oh, um, the theater that is, um, that we agreed to host the Death's Parade Film Festival um, recently sent out an email to all of their uh, subscribers, uh, basically letting them know that we're still here and we are preparing to show movies again. So oh. um, this is a very good sign that, because uh, for a while the theater went dark 
Uh, if anyone looked up 3K or excuse me, three below three theaters, below. they basically liquidated everything inside the building. I'm like, oh no, what do we well, have maybe here? Maybe they're doing a remop. Maybe it was an actual remop, you know, because they said even then that they were staying in business. So um, good to hear that three below uh, theaters and lounge in San Jose is still there and uh, is ramping up to reopen. So um, we're excited to have the film festival happen again. And uh, considering um, the increased velocity of uh, vaccine doses, maybe um, you know, we get a good audience. No, hold on. Here's clinging to hope. You know, yes, November, beautiful. late October, early November is, uh, is a good time for horror. Yes, hopefully. Yes. All right. Well, that's our show for tonight. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. This was the Event Horizon Retrospective. Uh, one hell of a ride. And um, for myself, Anthony DeRowan, Joe Flynn, Al Omega, wishing you a good night. Stay tuned for good more. Night. Good night. We'll see you next week.